I'm Mark Ficciani. Welcome to Forge Your Path. To see the type of impact he's been able to have on the lives of his athletes is really inspiring. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Forger Path Podcast. Got a great one for you today. Uh, it really talks about a topic that's one of my favorites. This time of the year, I gotta say, I just love it. So it's Labor Day weekend here, and up in New Jersey, that means a couple of things. First of all, as my parents used to say, school bells every morning, that first day of school, my dad in this wretched horrendous voice used to come in and sing school bells school bells time for the golden rule bells and it was like i knew it was coming and man you just wanted to cringe when you were a young kid because hearing my father sing god bless him he's got many great traits singing is not one of them so i know that in the rest of the country some crazy states go back in july some go back in early august some in late august well here up in the Northeast, we're about to get it going. So this is a very cool time of the year. And uh, it's a transition time. And so obviously, as my father also says, the corn's out and the leather's popping. And you got all kinds of great football games going on with football kicking off next week. There's also one more thing that I think can sometimes get missed. But if you're a sports enthusiast like I am, I love this time of the year because I always equate it with the U.S. Open. And I'm not talking about the golf U.S. Open. I'm talking about the tennis U.S. Open. It's one of the great championships in all sports. Uh, over in Flushing Meadows, if you've never been, it's an awesome place to go catch some tennis. It's just a really cool environment. And so why is that the topic of today? Well, the first U.S. Open championship was contested in 1881. So we're going back and. 42 years. And how is the tournament endure till today? How does the tradition grow over time that was probably something that dozens of people knew about a century and a half ago and now is one of the biggest events in tennis? And certainly you could argue at this time of the year, one of the biggest events in sport. To me, that's a story worth telling because I love learning about traditions. I love learning about evolution and longevity. And to me, this is a championship that's worth talking about. So today, we're talking about the U.S. Open. And September 3rd, 1881, was the first championship that was held. So happy 142 years, U.S. Open. So let's talk about it. How did this tournament grow to become one of the most heralded tournaments in all sports? So let me give you the background. So going back to the 1800s and doing my research, it was really not surprising that tennis was truly at one time, it was a sport of elites. It was the, one of the ultimate elite sports. It was played by kings and queens. Where was it played? It was played on immaculate lawns. And of course, in order to have that kind of grounds, well, yeah, you better have some serious dough. So it was an ultimate sport of prestige that was played over time. And naturally, as the sport grew in popularity, the people that had access to it were the people that had means. And look, golf, 
very much the same story and had a very similar history. And so tennis really followed suit. And so who was invited to this first U.S. Open championship? Well, it was members, of course, only at the most elite clubs, only people in the most select patronage were kind of part of the, of the tennis world. And so part of it was one of those sports that just the, the social class went with, with the action. And the tennis whites were the traditional garb of what people wore for tennis. And on one hand, you might say, well, sure, that was just customary. That was what people wore. But I think it went deeper than that. And when you look a little bit further, part of why the tennis whites were worn was because it symbolized that, yes, you had the means to keep the clothing clean. It meant that you were not a blue collar worker that was in the coal mines or working in the factories or some other menial labor where you were going to get dirty and you're going to get the clothes dirty. So it was the ultimate symbol of that access at that time. So Richard Sears, first champion of the U.S. Open, uh, actually won seven consecutive titles. And the tournament was off and running in the 1800s and continued on. So throughout the early 1900s, much of the story con continued the same. Different rival clubs, um, Orange Lawn Tennis Club, 20 minutes away from me in South Orange um, was a heralded location. And so it moved to different spots um, based on different, I would say, efforts of the time, different people in control, in the know, in the sport. And so this tournament continued to become popular as they held the contested the tournament. Now, what's interesting is in the 1900s, in the early 1920s, what else developed? Well, much like golf, tennis developed a professional circuit. So the people that played on the professional circuit, of course, were at this time considered not necessarily to be better than those contesting in the championships. Because one thing I forgot to mention was in order to contest for the championship, you had to be an amateur. And so what did that mean? Being an amateur meant that you were somebody that, again, you didn't play the sport professionally because it was considered a, a game of gentility. So an amateur didn't need to play the game for money. They played it for status, for the challenge of winning the title. And of course, if you belong to those clubs, you wouldn't be playing on the professional tour. But in the 1920s, professional tennis did become popular. So different promoters came on the scene and makes sense, right? In the roaring 20s, you got big business popping and you got a lot of things happening. They started playing individual matches and it became a big money circuit. But it was completely and entirely different than the amateur circuit. So really largely for the first 80 plus years of the tournament, which was contested every year, by the way. It's the only championship to be uncontested and continuous for this time period since it started. So it's one of the longest in history of any sport with no breaks, 142 years consecutive and running. Every year it's run, and then suddenly there's a changing of the guard. So fast forward to 1968. Now, if you know anything about American history, 1968 is a very dynamic year. There is a lot happening in this country. Um, 
you have the civil rights movement is full steam ahead and all the work of Martin Luther King and other predecessors that have been done in the 50s and the 60s have really taken root. You have the Civil Rights Act being passed in 64 and the Voting Rights Act in 65. And really, a lot of social change was continued to push ahead. Um, unfortunately, 1968 was also a year of great upheaval. But as social change continued, you also had the assassination of both Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert Kennedy. So it was definitely a year of turmoil, but change was front and center. And so what better place for change to continue to play out, but in the sports arena? It's also the year of the Mexico City Olympics, where you had uh, you had the ultimate symbolic gesture where the runners raised their fists to protest inequality that was happening back at home in the United States. So 1968 is a big year. So what happens in the tournament? This is the first year of what's known as the open era. So both amateurs and professionals were allowed to compete in the same tournament. So now all of a sudden, you have a different tournament. You've leveled the playing field. And certainly, tennis is taking a huge step forward. So one thing I love about traditions is when they grow and evolve. Because naturally, just like other different leagues or other sports that became better when you had greater access. You think about Major League Baseball and the absolute shame of having a separate league with the Negro Leagues and not allowing African-Americans to play baseball with their white counterparts. Once the color barrier was lifted with Jackie Robinson and baseball became an integrated sport, naturally the quality of play skyrocketed. Well, for tennis, the same thing occurred. With open access, now you've got a different game. So that was one of the first things when I think about how did the tournament move forward. In 1968, as the nation is moving forward, there's a drive for equity. What's great to see is that this evolution and this equity continued in multiple ways. So it wasn't just about opening up to professionals so they could play alongside amateurs. Women, of course, as part of the civil rights movement, women were also battling for equity. And in the 1970s, there was perhaps no more powerful decade for women than the 70s itself, with legislation such as Title IX being passed and other action to level the playing field, not just, of course, in sports, but in the workplace, academia, and everywhere in life in the country. So with the work of key advocates such as Billie Jean King, in 1973, the U.S. Open became one of the groundbreaking tournaments by deciding that, yes, we're going to have equal pay and equal prize money for men and women. Because as women's tennis was getting increasingly popular throughout that decade, the natural question was asked, why are the men being paid more than the women? So what's awesome is here in 2023, we're now celebrating 50 years of equal pay, 50 years of equity in the sport of tennis. So again, this is just super timely in terms of all the different pieces of why this stadium became great. What I love perhaps more than anything though, as I think about the evolution of this sport is how equity takes many forms. So obviously there's this aspect of access in terms of professionals and amateurs. You've got equity in terms of men and women, but probably the ultimate symbolic 
and really practical measure of that is where the tournament's played today. So if you go to, to the tournament, if you've ever been, um, again, I highly recommend it, but if you go to the what's called the NTC complex today, you'll see Arthur Ashe Stadium, Louis Armstrong Stadium. What's awesome about that is unlike other high-profile places where, of course, not surprisingly, just the same way it is in golf, some of the most contested tournaments are played at very elite prestigious private courses. Like if you think about the Masters in golf at Augusta National, probably the most exclusive elite private club in the world. Whereas in golf, you have some of the U.S. Open courses being played at places like Beth Page Black, which is open to the public. Well, guess what? The U.S. Open getting played over there in Queens is open to the public year-round for play. So just an awesome story to see the sport evolve. And the drive for equity wasn't just lip service. It didn't just end with deciding to open up the tournament between amateurs and professionals or having equal pay. It's got equal access even today in the place where the game is played. So I absolutely love that. I think if I look at one more reason why this tournament's still thriving today, it's the drive for innovation. It's the drive for innovation. When you think about different ways that a tradition can grow, you've got to think about how is the sport going to become more exciting? And I know for me, when I think about different aspects of sports that I love, of course, you want to preserve the best of what has already been. But at the same time, you also like to see changes that are made. I know for me, just even things like in pro football, the ability to go for two, moving the extra point back to now make it essentially a 33-yard kick. These are great changes that make it fun. Well, tennis had the same ability to innovate over time. So in the 1970s, as they were thinking about expanding the popularity of the sport, as it was getting greater notoriety, as you were looking to get better audiences, they made some big changes. One, both symbolic and practical change, was the surface itself. What was once a grass tournament, first they moved to clay because they felt as though this was going to attract newer people to the sport and it was going to be a little more TV friendly. With that, they also put in floodlights. So guess what? Now you've got night tennis. So what an incredible movement, what an incredible choice because when I think about the U.S. Open tennis, I don't know how many killer night matches I've watched over the last few decades. There's something about that place at night that is absolutely magical. So what a great choice to be able to think about, not just the surface, but what are some other ways to attract players and people to the sport? In addition, they didn't just stop that with the clay. They decided a couple of years later, you know what? The game is probably going to be even more interesting if we do it again. So they moved it to hard courts in 1978. So now all of a sudden you've got multiple changes that are going to happen in a couple of years. And that brings in a whole different viewership and really watching a different sport that makes it unique and different from Wimbledon, makes it different from Roland Garros and the French Open. And now you've got an exciting tournament that's got its own flavor. I think what's cool about the tournament is it didn't just stop there with those innovations. When I even think about in terms of this century, what are some other ways that this sport changed? Well, back in 2004, I remember there was an unbelievable match 
And I've gone back and seen the documentaries on it. Serena Williams versus Jennifer Capriati. If, if you've watched the match or you've heard about it, you know where I'm going. One of the most egregious examples of a lack of equity in a, in a sport that, that deserved far better and a player that deserved far better. Several calls were, as they saw in replay, were just, just downright poor and unacceptable. And even overruling from different judges. And Jennifer Capri, Adi went on to win U.S. Open title. And Serena Williams, who was at the peak of the sport, was bounced. And because that was such an egregious outcome, and because it was so clear that so many, so many mistakes were made, tennis took the bold move to say, we're going for instant replay. And they instituted the Hawkeye system, which is incredibly precise and allows for such precision down to the millimeter to see if the ball is truly in or out. And of course, there's different pieces over time about how many challenges can be made um, to make sure that every single point isn't contested or the game doesn't slow down to a snail's pace. Of course, those are little details, but that's a major move because in other sports, instant replay has been instituted poorly and it's become such a bone of contention because I think about football and the game slows down and they still don't get it right often. Tennis, I think, is one of the best examples of instituting this technology and then living by it and doing a great job of it. So this has kept the sport moving towards the future, kept the sport innovative in the proper ways. So the game continues to be great. And now, as you kind of see what's happening, it's just it's a sport that continues to grow in popularity. So as we're here in the weekend of Labor Day and you think about 142 years in the making, you know, how cool is it to be able to watch? And I just I got to catch some great matches this weekend. Um, I got to see Francis TFO make his way into the quarterfinals. I got to see uh, Coco Goff make her way into the quarterfinals. And I think this is the first time in in 20 years that three American men are in the quarters. So the sport in this country is growing and I feel like it's getting that move in the right direction and, and just an unbelievable groundswell. And it's a sport that had those elitist beginnings. And over time now just seeing it grow to become a sport that really anybody can play. And of course, sure. There's always going to be advantages that and I don't care what sport you're talking about. If someone's got resources, of course, they can have access to the best coaching, the best training, the best rackets. That's a given. But seeing a sport move towards a place of equity and seeing it innovate in ways that are not only bringing in new viewers, but players that can grow up around the corner in that neighborhood, practice on that court and dream of becoming a U.S. Open champion. That's why a tournament's been here for 142 years. So as we celebrate Labor Day weekend, as the tournament wraps up this week and will come to, of course, an exciting conclusion next weekend, happy birthday, U.S. Open. Congratulations for taking something that had its own reason for a start and its own tradition and evolving, moving forward and innovating in the way that our country has innovated as well. Happy birthday, U.S. Open. Can't wait to see how you wrap up tournament number 142 as the week ends. Thanks, everybody. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. 
and have a great week.